You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Thank you. You can be seated. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. How many of you came back tonight just because I said this morning that I had half the sermon notes that Thank you, Blake, for the honesty. I appreciate that. Um, and the fact that your parents made you probably had something to do with it. But uh, We are going through, we're getting close, a couple more weeks, I think, in the book of Genesis. And then we'll take a break at the end of this patriarch study. And eventually, when, we feel, when I feel the Lord leading us, that we'll come back and go through the tribes of Israel and finish out uh, the book of Genesis. But the book of Genesis, it's an amazing book. It means the beginnings. And we studied those in the first 11 chapters, studied where we came from and where how God made everything. I was listening this week uh, to a podcast, and I'm not going to recommend you because I don't think it was right. Um, but somebody had asked me to take a listen to it. And uh, I've mentioned it a little bit that it was a Jewish guy, grew up, uh, but he didn't grow up Jewish. He grew up, he's Jewish by ancestry, but he grew up, in an evangelical church, and uh, he's kind of gone back about seven or eight years ago and began to study the Jewish life and what it means. And he, he made the statement that the uh, that Genesis was written in poetry, and that if we had a Western, if we had an Eastern mind, uh, that we would understand that, we'd understand it not to be taken literally. Uh, if we can't take that literally, if we can't take the six days of creation, the six literal 24-hour days, literally, then how do we take, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do we take that? Um, and it's almost like God didn't know that Westerners were going to read the Bible. You know, That he was taking it, well, I didn't think about writing it for them. Um, anyway, uh, we, we have a great literal history here of not only where... We came from where the Jews came from, and really where God's plan of redemption, how it came to us. That's really what this is about. Although uh, this, is, this is about a Jewish family, about the first, the beginning of the Jewish people, this is not really uh, about them. It's really about Jesus Christ and about how God would bless all the earth through this family. So let's go to chapter 33, verse number 1. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came... And with them four hundred men, and he divided the children under Leah, and under Rachel, and under the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them, and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Now I want to start there. We're going to cover all twenty verses here in about fifteen or twenty minutes, I believe. That's my theory. Uh, we'll go with it. But the, the question is, do people change? You might, that's kind of a, a tricky question, right? Do people change? Now, you might see someone, I, there, I see friends from high school every now and then, and, uh, you know, you might not see them for a long time, and, but you, as soon as you see them, you're like, hey, that's that guy, I haven't seen him in 20 years. Um, and we go, are they the same person? Now, they may look the same, and there may be personality things that are the same, but do people really change? Do, do, uh, do their personalities change? Do their attitudes change? Do their demeanors change? Sometimes they do. So then, why do people change? Well, there may be many different reasons for that. Life experience, uh, things that 
um, that impact us, trials, tribulations, those change people. Uh, hopefully, and I believe God intends those to change us for good. If you've not been here on Wednesdays or you've not been uh, able to listen to those, we've been studying the book of Job and studying Job's life and the change. I mean, there is so much change that happens in his life. Why? Because of circumstances. Are those circumstances unforeseen by God or somehow out of God's control or out of God's plan? No. But God uses those circumstances to change people. And I think we see that here in chapter 33. Um, and I think it culminates here in these verses. So let me look at first. Let's look at this. Preparing for the worst. We saw this building last week. Jacob is preparing his family, but he's preparing for the worst. Now, is preparing for the worst a bad thing? It is if you have a promise from God that's contradictory to what the worst is. Okay, God says, I want you to go and I want you to go back and I'll make a great nation out of your, you and make a great people out of it. Then it is unbiblical, it is wrong for you to prepare for the worst because God has planned the best. Now that doesn't mean that we just throw caution to the wind and we don't make decisions that are going to try to help prepare or protect what we have. We certainly do do that. Now, uh, he also then tells us that Jacob sends the... the, the uh, Handmaids forward with their children. They're at the front. Then he puts Leah and her children behind. And then Joseph and Rachel uh, are at the back. Now, uh, there's a reason for that. First of all, he has a favorite wife. How many of you have a favorite wife? Don't. I hope if you're married, put your hand up. Do you have a favorite wife? Guys, I'm looking to see who didn't raise their hand. Danny Lambert. Okay. Um, now, since God designed for him to only have one wife, I understand that. Right? Uh, I can't imagine having more than one, and I'm thankful that I will never have to find that out. Uh, but he clearly has favorite children. Now, that's not healthy. Uh, God didn't design you to only have one child, at least not for everybody. So it, to have, if you only have one child, then you probably have a favorite. The rest of us, we don't have favorite children. And so we see here Joseph and Rachel, they're the favorite. They're at the end of the caravan. That puts them at the great least risk of... Of, uh, danger if they when they come in. Now the youngest may require a little bit more protection. Joseph right now is the youngest. There would come another one, Benjamin. We'll get to that later. Um, but right now Joseph is the youngest. But if you're thinking Joseph is the youngest and the oldest is about 14 or 15, remember the oldest is at maximum six years old at this point. More like probably five years old. So of the 11, 12 children, if you include Dinah, uh, which you should, uh, then there's uh, then all of them are under the age of. Of six, so that's that's pretty scary, right? So all of these kids require uh, special protection and attention as they're in this caravan. Now, in verse three, we see him come down, and the Bible says that when he passed over, he went over before them and went over himself. And the Bible says that he bowed to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. This was a custom that would that somebody would do when they're coming up to a king. When they come up to royalties, they would bow themselves seven times in the ancient uh, in the ancient East. Um, and so what he's doing is he's showing respect and he's begging for mercy. Now look at verse 4. This is where it gets really, really interesting. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. This is one of the most like heartwarming verses in all the Bible to me. But I'm not sure that's heartwarming when you really look at the whole picture. Okay, Now it's great, right? So he comes in. He's preparing for the worst. There's 400 men coming. He gets warning that there's foreign men coming, and he's like, oh, no, I better separate everybody because this is going to be bad. Now, what was the last thing that he heard from his brother? The last thing was, right before he left, that I hate you and I'm going to kill you, right? When dad's gone, it's over. I'm taking you out. 
Now, it's been 20 years since this happened, and Dad is still alive, okay? They thought Dad was going to die. Dad was seeming, seemingly at his death, but didn't have much time left, so we better get the blessing taken care of. Uh, so they go, and we know what happens there. But Isaac is still alive 20 years later, and so how is this going to go? Well, it's amazing. Esau runs, and he embraces Jacob. Now, this may have scared Jacob when he sees him running at him. Uh, like, I'm not even sending my men to do this. I'm going to take care of you myself. But when he gets there, Esau does it. Esau wraps his arms around Jacob and kisses him with tears pouring out of his eyes. Now, up until this verse, nobody saw that coming. None of us would have thought that this is how it's going to go. Maybe, maybe they come up defense. You know, they, they're, they're doing their karate kid thing. And uh, they're like, I'm going to get you. Don't you dare make a move. But he doesn't do that. He comes up and he comes right for a, a hug and kisses him and weeps with him. Now what we find here is there's something different about this man. But which man are we talking about? The reality is there's something different about both of these men. There, there has been a change in both of them. Jacob, when he left home, he was the heel catcher. He was the deceiver. He was someone who went and tried and stole things. He was the one who took advantage of his brother's weakness and stole his birthright. You might say, yeah, but Esau didn't value it like he should. You're right, he didn't. But that doesn't justify Jacob's dishonest and underhanded way of dealing with his brother. Esau, or he was also, Jacob was also the one who took advantage of his father's age and his poor vision and stole his brother's blessings. But listen, this wasn't the same man. Because what we have here is we don't have Jacob come running, we have Jacob limping. If you remember last week, God, Jacob wrestled with God, and when God did not prevail, that doesn't mean God couldn't, but God did not prevail in the way that his goal was, which was to get Jacob to depend on him. God put his hip out of joint, he withered the tendons, and he would limp from that point on. Jacob has changed. These 20 years did not make, a, did not make Jacob hard and bitter. They, they formed Jacob, not into the perfect man, not to the man that is full of faith, but the man who is growing in his faith. And so we have a different man in Jacob. But, but and he, By the way, he was no longer Jacob, was he? His name was changed Israel. He was no longer a heel catcher, but he was God has prevailed. That's what his name had changed to. But Esau was also different. Why? Well, we're not told much about Esau over the 20 years of Jacob's absence. So what's different? Well, we can speculate, right? We can guess what happened, but we really aren't told. We're not told about the things that he went through that, that changed who he was or how he would approach this situation. But we can speculate, and we can find out here in, in, in a few verses that Esau had become successful. He had matured past the hot-headed response that we saw early when he said, I'm going to kill you. He seemed to have that fiery response in him, but yet we don't see that here. What would bring him to run to his brother, embrace him, and kiss him? Well, go back to chapter 32. In chapter 32, look at verse number 9. We read this last week. It says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidest unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and, and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant." For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am be become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make my seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. 
You see, God answered Jacob's prayer. When we see Esau now, we have nothing to say that Esau has become a godly man, or that somehow Esau went, you know, my parents had it all right. Jacob had it all right. I just need to submit to what they believe. God was responsible for changing Jacob. And if God's responsible for changing Jacob, why wouldn't we believe that God would be responsible for changing Esau? The change in him, though, was not the same as the change in Jacob. Let me read verse 7 of chapter 33, or verse 5. And he lifted up his eyes, and he saw the women and the children, and said, Who are those with thee? This is Esau asking Jacob. And he said, The children which God had graciously given thy servant. And the handmaidens came near, they and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after came Joseph near and Rachel, and they bowed themselves. Here all 11, all 12 of the kids at this point get to meet Uncle Esau. And uh, he says, who are all these people? And Jacob has an opportunity to say, these are the people that God has blessed me with. Look at verse 8. And he said, what meanest thou by all this drove which I met? And he said, so Jacob, or Esau says, what's with all these people that you sent? And he said, these are to find grace in, thy, in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough. My brother, keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my presence at my hand. And therefore I have seen thy face, as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that, it, uh, that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. These two brothers were young men the last time that they saw each other. We don't know an exact age, but they were certainly young. They were, uh, it was before that they had married. Um, Esau got married to some, to some uh, women from, uh, from Canaan. But they're here early on. We see them. They're jockeying for position. Who's going to get the blessing? Who's going to get the birthright? That they're jockeying for their future. They both had big plans. They both had these ideas of what they thought their life was going to look like. And they thought that if, if things are going to go the way that's going to make me happy, I need it to go this way. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes for that to happen. But the Bible tells us here that both of them had found themselves satisfied. Both men said, I have enough. They were both blessed by God. That doesn't mean that they didn't want more. It doesn't mean that they couldn't think of, I can't imagine having a little bit more. But it means that they both realized where they were, they were satisfied. I don't need my brother's stuff. This wasn't an argument. This wasn't uh, a pride thing where I don't need your stuff. I've got enough of my own. This is, I'm satisfied. I don't want to take from my brother. It seems that maybe the priorities in these brothers have changed. Now, can you say today I have enough? Because if you can't, and if you're ever going to mean it in your heart, then you cannot be worried about what other people have. If you're ever going to, to really believe, I have enough. You say, but, you know, oh no, I know I've got enough. But secretly, we gripe and complain about what we don't have. If we're ever going to truly mean that I have enough, then we cannot be concerned with what anybody else has. If you put yourself against the majority of people in our world, you are wealthy beyond measure. Yet we look at the people in our community, we look at the people in the communities we can't afford to live in, and we think, if I just had that, I'd be happy. 
I mentioned this morning, if God never did another thing for me, he's still done far beyond what I could ever imagine and far beyond what I could ever deserve. These two said, I have enough. So Esau agrees to accept the gifts of Jacob. Look at verse 12. And he said, let us go take our journey and let us go and I will go before thee. So Esau says, hey, let's go. I'm going to go before you. Why don't you follow me? And he said unto him, my Lord, know it that the children are tender. So Jacob says, the children are young, the flocks and herds with the young are with me, and if men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. He says, we're tired, everybody needs a break, they need a rest, so let us stay here, you go on before us, but if I drive them too hard, they're going to die. Now my question is, is that true? Was that true? And I think it may have been, but look at what he says in verse 14. Let my Lord, I pray, pass, uh, pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and the children be able to endure, until I come to my Lord unto Sierra. And Esau said, Let me now leave with thee some of the folk that are with me. And what and said, What needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Sierra. Now, it, it seems as though my understanding of this passage is that Jacob and Esau had kind of agreed that Jacob would follow Esau. He'd eventually come to where he was, but in verse 17, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him an house, and he made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. I think it's Succoth. Uh, and Jacob came to Shalem, the city of Shechem. By the way, the word Shalem there is the word Shalom. It means peace. So he came to peace, the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of the field where he had spread his tent and handed the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it uh, El El Ohez Israel. Uh, I think that's how, that's how I believe it's to be said. Okay? The only person who would know better is Andrew. He likes his job, so he's not going to correct me. So, just kidding. So here we see them part in peace. They part ways. But this isn't the end of the story. We see these two brothers, they hug, they embrace, yet it's not long after this that their descendants don't get along. Esau's descendants were called the Edomites, and they were often at odds with Jacob's descendants, named Israel. Now why did this happen? Why did these two brothers embrace and love and, and, and seemingly patch things up? But yet, it wasn't long where their, where their descendants would, would agree. Here's, here's why. Israel, like their father Israel, like their father Jacob, served the God of Israel. Edom, like their father Esau, served pagan gods. This is what drew the division between them. But it was always what drew the division between them. You see, knowing what we know about Esau, the only reason that I can see that Esau would embrace Jacob is that God had done a work in his life. But I don't mean that God had done a work where he saved him. Now, I don't see anywhere else in, in Scripture where we see something positive about Esau. The only place that I see something positive about Esau is this almost miraculous moment where he comes up and he hugs his brother and he kisses him and he meets his nieces and nephew, niece and nephews and, and he meets all these people, he meets his four sister-in-laws and he, this seems like the only positive thing that we ever see from Esau. I, I don't think that Esau was saved. 
I don't think he was righteous because he didn't believe God. He didn't follow God. But here's, here's what I see here in this passage. I see that God worked through someone who was not his child, someone who had not been redeemed. However you want to say he was not saved, he was not righteous in the eyes of God. God worked through him for his ultimately for his plan. You see, we can look at this and we can say, uh, man, this is a great moment in, in, the, in, these, in this family and we see these two brothers come together. But ultimately, this is about the gospel. This is about two brothers. This is about God protecting Jacob. We're told that Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. That doesn't mean that, that before Esau was born, that he had no chance of ever making a right decision and that God, before he was born, had chosen one for heaven and chosen one for hell. He had chose to use Jacob. And he would protect Jacob from Esau, who had chosen to serve pagan gods. He had chosen to turn his back on the one true God. God can still work through people who don't believe in him. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 says, Recompense to no man, evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. And that says this, If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. You see, Jacob here did not come with all the right answers. He didn't come with all the great faith. He, grew, he came as a man of growing faith. He came as a man who was learning about how to be the man he should be. And God answered his prayer from chapter 32 and protected him from his brother. I wish I could say, isn't it amazing what God did in the life of Esau and how God changed him and now he loved the God of, he loved Jehovah, he loved the God of Israel. And, and these two brothers, man, they're people, they just, they came up together and they supported it. And, and Esau's people supported Israel's people. But the, the real situation here is that God had a plan. God directed that plan. And God protected the seed through whom all the world would be blessed. I think that's really what we see. So the heartwarming thing here is not that these two brothers made up. It's that God's will was done. What shall we do? Why did these brothers change? For both of them, I believe, it's because God worked. He worked differently in each of them, but brought them to a place of peace. So is there a conflict between you and someone else? Don't just wait for them to change. Don't just say, well, you know what? When they get their heart right, we'll get along. Well, you know, when they, when they finally give in and they finally understand that I'm right, then we'll get along. No, what you do is you pray that God's will would be done. You pray that God would work in their life. You pray that God would work in your life and show you the areas you need to change. See, it took both brothers changing here. If it wasn't for both, for God working in both of them, one who was righteous, one who was not righteous. But if it wasn't for God working in both of them, this would have never been possible. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.